This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. We're broadcasting tonight from the Triple R studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and I'm joined in the studio tonight by Wurundjeri and Nirai Ulam Warung man Jasper Cohen Hunter. Welcome to Primal Screen, Jasper. Thank you for having me on tonight. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, you are the host of the new podcast series, uh, Milling Yalingwa. Uh, Milling Yalingwa is a, a new podcast project that is celebrates First Nations cinema productions and it discusses the power that cinema holds as a resource in truth-telling and documenting the oldest continuous culture in the world. The first ep is now up on Spotify. That's very exciting. So excited, yes. And that first epi is all about uh, Job Clerk's uh, Sweet As. Yeah. Uh, and, and your experience of watching it as a First Nations man um, and all the jokes that us white folk are missing out on. <laughs> um, I really, really enjoyed your passionate and, and very insightful review and it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. I've been a, a long-time listener uh, of Triple R and I love uh, tuning into different shows every now and then, yeah. um, especially Primal Screen. So uh, sitting here in the room today, it's uh, it's really special to talk about something that I'm so passionate about. Yeah. No, I've been wanting to do this for a while. We've been chatting uh, via Instagram for a few months now and I'm glad that it's, it's all come together. The stars have aligned. Um, so tonight we're going to be spotlighting the work of filmmaker Ivan Sen. Um, I had the pleasure of speaking with Ivan about his latest film, Limbo, uh, which you saw a special review, a uh, special preview screening on Saturday at Cinema Nova. Yes. Uh, so Ivan wrote, directed and co-produced uh, Limbo. And I also got a good chance to speak with him and the leading actor, Simon Baker. And I'll play that interview in just a moment. Uh, and we'll also chat some more about Jasper's excellent new podcast series. And then we'll take a deep dive into Ivan Sen's filmography. I really hope you enjoy uh, tonight's spotlight. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford. From his early short films Dust and Wind, his feature debut Beneath the Clouds, to Mystery Road and Goldstone, filmmaker Ivan Sen has redefined our national cinema. His latest film Limbo stars Simon Baker as Travis, a jaded detective sent to a remote outback town to investigate the cold case murder of a young Indigenous girl from 20 years ago. The film is a powerful journey into the complexities of unresolved grief and longing. And I'm honoured to have the writer and director of Limbo, Ivan Sen, and the leading actor, Simon Baker, in the studio with me. Welcome to Primal Screen. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, Flynn. Mm. So, Ivan, the film is called Limbo, and the remote outback town that Travis is stationed at is also called Limbo, and he's staying at Limbo Hotel... So let's unpack what Limbo refers to here because it's obviously a lot more than just a fictional outback town. Yeah, it's Limbo on many different levels, I think. Um, Limbo, the the characters are all in their own personal Limbo um, and they live in a town which feels like it's been frozen in time and uh, 
the town is in kind of its own limbo, the community as well. And uh, there's also this incredible landscape of uh, Cooper Pedy and mm. the un- underground aspect of it, which also adds another, I guess, feeds into the religious um, connotation of, of limbo as well. So, um, yeah, damaged land, damaged people in this uh, state of limbo. Mm. Mm. And we should also mention the film stars Rob Collins as Charlie, who is the brother of Charlotte, the girl who was murdered 20 years ago. Amazing performance by Rob. You also have uh, Natasha Wanganine as his sister. So you mentioned before, Ivan, the location of Cooper Pedy and we have these beautifully stark black and white aerial shots and the town is known for its harsh conditions and its oppressive heat and yet when it's shot in black and white, the town is kind of almost completely stripped of that iconic red dirt and those orange underground caves and under the black and white lens you kind of almost create a sense of stillness, even perhaps coldness. It's as though the town itself, much like the characters, is kind of frozen in time, caught in this limbo. What drew you to tell the story in black and white? It found its way to black and white for many different reasons. Um, firstly, um, I guess just from a, a, a visual aesthetic point of view, I, I, I wasn't really happy with how, a dig- how digital cameras portray colour out there. I just felt it was a little bit too artificial and I tried to shoot some shoot on film basically, which is very difficult these days in Australia. So um, I, I decided to think about the film within within a monochrome kind of sense and um, I gradually just felt like this landscape lends itself as well with the, with the it's got a very high kind of um, tonal range out there with a, mm. a white white ground and and mid grays and we've got the darkness of of the the caves and the mines and stuff and so Mm. it kind of um it it just felt like a natural thing to do and Mm. it just worked worked out that this absence of color um also helps the story and Mm. helps the audience engage with the characters because as you said that warm color that kind of I don't know. I think I think that warm red color that we're so used to seeing in the Australian outback it, it fills our it, 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 it fulfills our emotions in some warm way mm. and and the stark coldness of the black and white actually leaves you kind of looking for a connection um, for this warmth by attaching yourself to the characters mm. and, and the story. And so I feel that actually draws you deeper into mm. into the frame and also into the lives of the characters because the absence of colour isn't feeding you any emotion. Mm. Mm. No, it definitely has that effect. And it comes across almost like looking like a um, surface of a moon or something. Mm. It's really quite unworldly. Simon, listeners are going to be very familiar with your work. The Mentalist, The Guardian, LA Confidential, Stephen Maxwell, Johnson's High Ground, Del Catherine Barton's Blaze more recently, Mm. uh, and now Limbo. Uh, And of course, your directorial debut, Breath, from 2017, which you also starred in and co-wrote and produced. In an interview from a few years ago, you were talking about two of your pet peeves on set. And the first was when people hadn't given enough thought to things and the second was when <laughs> writers or directors would underest- underestimate the intelligence of the audience. So you must have met your perfect match with Ivan here, a man who seems very precise and, and, and has thought through things um, in great detail. Um, how did you first get involved with this project? Oh, I've spent too much time with him lately, honestly. <laughs> um, 
Uh, yeah. It, it was it, it was good because I you know I I liked I, I like to in, I like films that really engage the audience as a as an aspect of the film and the and the audience projecting their thoughts and their feelings um, onto um, what's what's on the cinema screen and to do that you've got to you've got to kind of have a trust um, in the image. Um, in 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 what's happening on the screen in your characters and and the space that you hold for the audience to actually inhabit and we had a we had a really lovely screening last night it was a sold out screening um, uh, at the uh, Palace Cinema on James Street in Brisbane and we had a, a, a good Q and A afterwards and you can feel the energy of the audience when you come in at the end of the film because they've been participating in it uh, and that that to me is what going to the movies is about mm. um, and a film isn't complete I don't think a film's ever complete until you actually have an audience in front of it because they do their energy does invest in that in that whole mm. room experience mm. um, yeah Ivan you like I, I think Ivan's a good filmmaker because he's confident enough to to l- let stuff play um, in an unforced way and yeah, that was uh, that's like catnip for me, you know. And, and you know, you don't get that, those kind of opportunities mm. as an actor very often. But uh, yeah, I was, mm. I was in pretty good hands. And he turns out to be kind of an okay bloke too. <laughs> on top of it, it's not know. what you were saying before. Yeah, well, you know, keep it up, um, keep it up. <laughs> but Simon, you're almost unrecognisable in the role of Travis. You've shaved your head. You're covered in tats. You look like some sort of Outback Walter White, but like season five Walter White. Um, Never watched an episode of that show, by the <laughs> no, way. Really? I'll, I'll be completely honest with wow, you. Wow. So okay. I kind of cringe <laughs> at that because it just, yeah, I, yeah, I should have probably watched an episode. But what, what was the thinking behind the look of Travis? Yeah, I, I, I don't know the. Look. I, I'll kind of work at it from more of an internal place, and mm. and and I think obviously externally the the landscape and the fact that it was shot in black and white all leads into it because mm. it does give you um, some latitude and room to play and, and, and room to invest certain things into the character. Um, but we talked a little bit about like kind of the internal life of the character and the struggle, um, his, his kind of um, a level of self-loathing and, and, and inability to sort of be able to sit within himself and obviously mm. that's that's why he's uh, an addict mm. um and and then we just sort of played around with what visually supported that like you know um I, I'm going to steal one of your lines here Ivan from various Q&As and interviews um I'll stop now mate yeah <laughs> why stop now the choices that are made when you're making a film aren't aren't you, you don't make a choice for one particular reason. Mm. Like things kind of have to line up and that's a nice feeling when a decision's made and you go, oh, and that works and that helps mm. this and that. And that's the organic nature mm. of the process of filmmaking mm. when it is considered. And, and Ivan, not to blow too much smoke, is, is a very considered director. He's a mm. very thoughtful director and he's a considered director and there's a precision in what he does which makes my job 
a lot easier. It gives me freedom. You know, I don't have to, I don't have any anxiety about like, oh, is this guy know what he's doing? Is he going to make a choice? He's very committed to his choices. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously the black and white was a, a very obvious big choice that he made. Um, but uh, that just straight away showed to me a, a, a brave and bold commitment. And at the centre of, of Limbo, we have an absence. We have the murder of Charlotte. Um, that's left her remaining family members stranded in this limbo of grief. And Ivan, I understand that the story came about from your own personal experiences from family members and friends of yours who have been victims of crime. And ambiguous grief, the kind of grief that grips the family at the centre of this story, um, indeed many families who are still looking for closure and um, I think that that can be felt at, at a national level as well. And, and your film really prompted me to think about how grief and the processes around grief might inform how we grapple as a nation with our history, our present and the lasting impact on the stolen generation. Do you think it's possible for grief to be a productive or generative force in reckoning with the history of this country? Oh, look, I think every situation has has a chance to... Um, result in something hopeful or positive um, as any good situation has a chance to do the opposite um, which funnily enough is what was written on his Chinese tattoo on, on Travis's really? forearm. Yeah, that's how right. it was roughly translated. Oh, um, well. Um, good fortune follows upon disaster. Disaster lurks within good fortune. So... Um, I mean, it, it's but you know, it's a it's a process, and mm. the problem is it's it's such a long way off to mm. get to get to the other side of things. I, I recently went back to Tumala, um, where my family come from, Tumala Reserve up in northern New South Wales. It's on the, it's actually right on the Queensland New South Wales border, and uh, we uh, a cousin, my mother's cousin, her name is Teresa Binge, she was murdered in 2003 in an in in unsolved um, case and uh, which basically when it happened there was no response from the police at all mm-hmm. and so that, that plays a big role in, in, in how I kind of form this story but um, it's something that is still very strongly um, existing, the, the trauma from that and the lack of justice. Mm-hmm. When I recently went back to Tumala, I drove across the bridge and there's a big hand-painted banner um, spread across the first house in the front yard so everyone can see it as they drive in and it says, Justice for Teresa. And this this happened in 2003. Wow. And so this thing is still constantly there, as in the, in the Limbo um, film. It's something that's always just there. Yeah. And... and Rob Collins, um, his character says, you know, um, why people say we should just get over it. But for us, it's like it's just happened yesterday. Yeah. And the trauma that's resulted from that is just right there. And it's hard to to, to um, get away from that. And that. And for me personally, it's hard to turn away from that. Mm. And so it's that's why it's kind of a result of me expressing that within the film. Mm. Mm. One of the ways in which trauma is sometimes communicated in film is through an absence of language as though this is something, the event is something that's inexpressible 
beyond words. And, you know, much of the dialogue in Limbo is quite sparse. It's quite strained. Um, even that, that friendly offer of dinner from Charlie's sister, Emma, who's played by the wonderful Natasha Wanganin, as we said, um, and it's delivered with the question, anything you can't eat or something like that. So there's this real um, absence of, of any kind of preamble. This this kind of absence in the dialogue means that so much has been communicated in the non-verbal exchanges between characters. And Simon, I was wondering, how did you think about embodying the character of Travis and what were you hoping to get across when you're kind of existing in this physical rather than maybe verbal space? Like Ivan was just saying, like it, that, that, that grief just exists. Mm. It, doesn't, it doesn't go away. Mm. And I think um, part of that, Part of that that challenge within that character, and I think part part of part of that challenge for me as you know a, a white Australian is is um, actually being able to sit in um, uncomfortable circumstances and situations and allow that grief to exist mm. and not to like I can't I can't solve it. I can't um, ignore it. I just have to, you know, for want of a better f- phrase, just like ho- hold space for it, you mm. know, which is a kind of a modern phrase for it, but just exist in it. Yeah. Um, there's no escaping. And, you know, Ivan kind of creates creates those situations where I am in the space. Sometimes I'm close. Like there's there's a sort of an intimacy to a scene in a car mm-hmm. where you can't get away from it. You just have to be there in those in- uncomfortable moments and and um, just fe- feel it mm-hmm. uh, and feel that sort of that pain and that longing. Um, so that, you know, that, 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 that informs a lot. Um, you know, I guess, I guess a, a, a lot of this character... Um, stuff was character work was really about like being uncomfortable Mm. Um, I mean but I think separately he's ridiculously uncomfortable just on his own anyway yeah Yeah. Uh, so so you know and 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 to be broken broken people in a broken landscape Mm. um, they sort of they sit well in it Mm. together you know Mm. um and there and that and everything is all that all that tension and all that drama and that trauma is still all existing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very sharply felt. You played another Travis uh, in Stephen Maxwell Johnson's High Country <laughs> from twenty twenty. I, I had no idea that. Yeah, so I hadn't seen the film. I had no idea. He said one day Simon says, "Hey mate, you know you know I play I did I did another movie and my name was Travis." I said, "What? <laughs> what the hell? Now you tell me." Too I'm late, gonna, actually, I'm going to retell that story. Yeah. That's not what you said. Oh. You actually said, "I don't care." You said, "Yeah," because you, you went, you went, oh. and I went, "Yeah, yeah." It's in uh, filming uh, Arnhem Land. He's like, "Right." He goes, "Do you have a problem with it?" And I went, mm, "No." And he goes, no, "Me neither." <laughs> 
I just couldn't believe the chances. I mean, how many names are there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually had to double check my notes because I was yeah. like, I thought that was pretty familiar. High Ground was shot in Arnhem Land and Stephen joined us on the show when the film was released and, and mentioned your commitment to the project. And in Limbo, you play a very different role to your character in High Ground. But there is an immense responsibility in bringing these stories to the screen. And you mentioned sitting with grief. Mm. Um but especially when there has there's these complex connections to a real history and a real present, um, how do you actually navigate that as an actor? Uh, look, you know, you just put yourself, you're just in that, you're in that situation, and mm. and you you know that that's existing, and you know that like pretty much pretty much, uh, you know, everyone on that set um, was certainly all, all, all the in, indigenous cast and crew. Um, like Ivan said, have have stories that are very close to them uh, that are very similar to this. So mm. it's it's present the whole time. Um, yeah, I think I think I think sometimes you can be afraid of it and want to get away from it. Um, but that's the challenge, and that's the kind of a personal journey and experience for me, which is which is which is beautiful and was beautiful on both of those films is that sitting in it um, enriches my experience of life in, in, in a way that's very positive and, you know, it opens you up mm. in a way. For me, I, I find it quite enriching. Absolutely. That doesn't mean it's not difficult, you know, like I've been said before, like uh, 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 out, of, out of difficult things comes great evolution. Mm. Um, Ivan, alongside filmmakers like Rachel Perkins, Warwick Thornton, Leah Purcell and Wayne Blair, you're often credited as one of the key figures of the Black Wave. And for listeners, the Black Wave refers to a generation of First Nation filmmakers who trained up in the late 80s and 90s and created an astounding number of critically acclaimed films in the early 2000s. And from this, you have built a really impressive filmography that continues to engage with Indigenous narratives and politics. And I just wondered, what are some of the things that we can do both on a community or even federal level to ensure that First Nations filmmakers and creatives are supported in the industry? Well, I think the biggest hurdle for filmic expression for, for Indigenous artists is the, the, the process and the structure of funding mm. and how it's unfortunately so strongly reliant upon governments mm. and all of all of the constraints that come with public money mm. because it's it's i mean blackfellas are such we're such a i mean is you just look at the amount of indigenous producers there are you know, mm. this compared to filmmakers you know mm. no one wants to do that boring job of writing applications to government departments i mean i don't want to do that mm. because life is short <laughs> but someone's got to do it at the moment, you know. So I think, yeah. I th and and this bureaucracy kind of approach does affect, I think, dramatically affect creatively what end up ends up getting made mm. and the constraints all around that. So I, th I, I think, I think what kind of needs to happen is is to blow all the blow it open, you mm. know. So. We, we can have more freedom to express what we want and want to express without, you know, the script's got to go through Screen Australia development and there's, you know, Indigenous assessors looking at, you know, 
what the indigenous portrayal aspect of and all this bloody stuff, you know, mm. it's like it's none of their business as far as I'm concerned. You know, mm. what I'm doing is none of their business. And I think the sooner that the funding process opens up without with less constraints and, and possibly comes from more of a private area, mm. um, the better probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be really great to ask whether you have any advice for emerging filmmakers and actors. I, I think, uh, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to cast a film now that I want to direct and, and I need a, a young actor and... It, whenever I'm uh, I'm watching these tapes of young actors, I, um, you know, I, you, know, you often think about like how sort of how brave they are to put themselves out there. Um, but I, I also think it's really difficult because you, you, when you're a younger actor, you, you you aspire to be like other actors, and you know you feel like things have to be right or wrong. There has to be, you know, and it speaks a little bit to what I was saying about constraints. Like, oh, you've got to do it like this because that's the right way to mm-hmm. do it, and that's good acting, and this isn't good acting because I don't know. But I, constantly, I'm just like I'm really curious about getting to the to the bottom of who these people are, mm-hmm. like like you know figure out who you are find find yourself and don't be afraid of 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 being yourself first mm. you know and and being grounded as as you before you start trying to be everyone else mm. um and so so often i can sort of see these glimmers of like a, a an interesting character inside this person but they're they've got all this sort of training or they you know they feel like it's got to be this is what's good mm-hmm. and and i just want to see the rawness of that person's expression um and it's the same when i'm looking at you know when i'm talking to film bankers people that want to make films as an actor and i you know i, I want to work with people that have this have this raw unbridled um passion that's grounded out of who they are mm-hmm. uh and i think I think Ivan really embodies that, um, and that's exciting. You know, mm-hmm. I want to I want to be involved in those kind of projects. But look, it's pretty easy to have that kind of advice at my age because I've been around. And you know, when I was sort of struggling and trying to get work, I, I was looking at all the people that were working and thinking, I've got to be more like that. Can I also ask Ivan? I know you're currently working on the press circuit for Limbo, but is there something else in another project in the works or are you taking a break? Cause oh, look, no, you can't take a break. <laughs> I, um, yeah, you can't take a break. Uh, not now. Like, because I, I don't know. I, I'm not at the point where I felt like I've gotten to a certain level of, I don't know, artistry or whatever, whatever wanky term you want to call it. <laughs> but um, when I feel I've been to get to that level, then I'll take a rest. But you've got to keep stuff going, you know, like when I'm post in post-production, I'm writing like mad. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it helps when you're the genera- generator of work. So you, you're a self-cycling thing, but it can also, you know, it can be, it can be you know, a little too much because you, if you don't turn off, you, I mean, you turn off and the cycle stops. So I, I, I actually... I don't know. I, I'm. I think I'm more passionate, as passionate now as I was when I first started studying film. Now I think. Wow. I've, I think I'm after finishing Limbo. I mean, when we were filming Limbo, I wasn't that kind of excited, you know. I, I mean, we, 
I was enjoying the actual when we were on set and we're filming that's when we're, mm. we're ticking over. But before going to work and getting home, I've just thought, ah, oh, it's just kind of, you know, over it, the whole thing, really. The whole mm-hmm, structure of, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to shoot this today and mm. we have to do this today and go to this location and, mm. you know, the structure of that. I just, mm. and that's when I feel like going to do solo films where I go to Tumalaya and, and I'm in a community and I have this exciting thing of playing with raw talent. Mm. Don't know what's going to happen, and you, and there's no plan, and mm. and the actors could be drunk or whatever, you know. Yeah. And, and then I, I go craving that. And the funny thing is, when I finish a film like that, I say to myself, "Holy shit, I'm not ever going to do that again." Yeah, yeah, but yeah. then I go looking for it. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know what you mean. There is that. There is that. Once you sort of understand the system and the process of making it, and you're just going through that process, there's yeah. those moments in between, little moments when you're shooting during the day, and you're just not really a super excitable person. And I can hey. t- well, you're not. You you can tell when you're excited because you get a little bit like, mm, yeah, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're playing it cool all the time. You are <laughs> playing it cool with me. Every now and then, you're like, yeah, this is pretty. This is this is uh, like this is good. Yeah. Ivan and Simon, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on Primal Screen. Limbo is coming out May 18. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Jasper Cohen-Hunter and myself, Flick Ford. On tonight's show, we're spotlighting the work of filmmaker Ivan Sen. I say filmmaker, but uh, he's also a producer, DOP, uh, colourist, editor, uh, composer, have I forgotten anything, Jasper? Aerial photographer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he actually studied photography. I was looking into this. Yeah. Um, it doesn't surprise me. Having watched Limbo, uh, I can definitely see that influence. In fact, all of his films, I can see that. Yeah, well, definitely with the, with the process of uh, taking the image yourself and going through the darkroom and processing them uh, mm. to the very, very end um, until you have the final print. Yeah. No wonder he's a director that sits in many chairs. Yes, yes. I can, I can understand that, 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 that need to have uh, control or have, just have the vision, to be able to have the vision in each of those elements. Um, he's an incredibly talented man. Jasper, as I mentioned at the start of the show, uh, you're the host of a podcast that actually spotlights and celebrates First Nations cinema productions. The podcast is called uh, Milling Yalangwa and the first ep- is up on Spotify now, as we said. Uh Firstly, where did the name come from? The name is a beautiful combination um, of two words from the Woiwurrung language, which is the language of my mob, the Wurundjeri. Um, and the first word is milling, uh, which is the word for I. And when you think about um, the process of being a filmmaker or using a camera at all, um, if it's the mechanical component of the aperture and the lens itself or it's the eye and the vision um, of the director or cinematographer, um, then that's the first half. And that's the first component of creating a film. And then the second component is yalangwa, which is the Wurrung word for light. And so light is what exposes celluloid. Uh, it's what exposes the sensor. And so if you're using any uh, film technology, uh, the light and the vision are the two uh, most key important uh, elements of creating cinema. I love that because in in your podcast, but also in your Instagram account, because there's a lot of um, light being shed on Indigenous cinema and in both of those platforms. Um, so it's a lovely duality in in the, in the name there. Um, can you kind of tell folks what they can expect from your podcast? What what do you cover? Well, look, 
There's so many things that are coming. Um, I was very passionate about uh, VCE media when I was in high school and I found um, that sometimes First Nations cinema or even uh, local cinema, um, sometimes the resources in there were underutilised and I want to be able to provide a voice within the confines of VCE media as well as for the the common audience member, people uh, watching upcoming um, First Nations cinema in the screens on their television, on their phone, on their iPads. Um, I want to be able to offer a resource for a whole plethora of um, listeners. And if that's from the the, the true uh, educational standpoint of people that are studying or people that want to find out more about First Nations cinema, then I want to be able to um, find something that caters to that for every audience, if it's infographics or if it's... Um, film reviews um, or if it's a film recommendation of the week for people that just want to simply expand their palette uh, to First Nation cinema, then there's a there's a place for everyone on the Milling Yellowwa podcast. Yes, I actually love your weekly – is it weekly film recommendations? It feels like it. Yeah, it is weekly and um, today I actually decided to sort of change it a little bit. Um, I formerly was doing five uh, recommendations a week and today I sort of sat back and I realised – Okay, you know, I might be a mega fan of First Nations <laughs> cinema uh, that speaks my language, but for many people in the business and uh, busy days of life, they can't sit down and watch five movies in a no. week all the time. So <laughs> we, we've, we've minimised it down to one and that's going to be really focused. So yeah. it's going to be free to access, free to stream, um, so that I'm not going to be recommending something that people can't access. Mm. It's going to be educational and it's going to be uh, critical about something with the with the news or um, perhaps an observance day or something that's important to like the historical uh, context of that week. And so yeah. I want it to be able to provide, um, again, another educational resource um, for audiences rather than just spewing out as much um, cinema as possible. I want everyone to stop and think and, and sit and, um, and absorb that First Nation cinema. Yeah, and something... I I think that was worth mentioning. You, you're talking about all the educational purposes, all the resources that you've got on on your Instagram and also through the podcast. But you're not getting paid for any of this. This is purely a passion project. Um, there's just so much detail and so much thorough research that you dedicate to this project, and it's it's really amazing. I encourage everyone to check it out. I really love your weekly recommendations because there's films on there that I, um, you know, I used to lecture in Indigenous cinema, and I I didn't even I wasn't across it. Um, you did a fantastic one this week, was it or last week on uh, Maori cinema, right? Yes, yeah. yes. So that that was. Um that was a couple of weeks ago. Oh, um, sorry. But yeah, yeah. yeah, that was highlighted um, from a TikToker who did um, five uh, movies. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to repost this. Yeah, and I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to highlight that. Um, so that was for Waitangi Day. Yeah. So that yeah. was particular. So I just wanted to extend my hand out to other um, First Nations cinema filmmakers and um, allow people to uh, take a step over there for that particular day. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Um, I suppose it's kind of with the um, – with show description, you just find cinema as a resource in truth-telling, which I just love the phrasing on that. Um, so often cinema has been used to um, perpetuate um, and foster and, and um, basically to act in support of colonisation, but there are so many films that actively decolonise that space. Um, and I think that shedding a light on these films, these TV shows, these creatives, creators is so important. Um, and I just wonder, did you – was that an idea that was introduced to you in your studies or was it l- missing from your university time that you were like, I need to provide this? 
Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I feel like there was a mix of it. Um, I was very fortunate enough to focus heavily on documentary studies. And I feel like when it comes to the genre of documentary, um, Indigenous cinema is always going to be there because there is always someone with a camera filming something. But when it comes to narrative works, it can often be quite lacking. And so I wanted to go out and expand um, my horizons and find as much as possible um, so that I could learn about um, First Nations cinema that was telling my own experience that I could then go and share to um, to colleagues, to peers, to uh, people that I was studying with at the time and say, you know, take a look at this. This was made right here. This mm. was made here. Um, and, and we can learn the exact same stuff from uh, this text on this week from this that was made right here on this continent. Mm. And there's, there's um, just in general terms, I feel like often people, we all... This idea of turning to Hollywood uh, as kind of this marker of success. I mean, we, we don't have time to go into all the issues with that. But there's something really amazing making people aware of what exists in our own history with cinema and particularly with First Nations filmmakers. Um, lots of people uh, may not have been familiar with that term black wave that I, I referred to in the interview. Um, but there's so much that we should be proud of, of this kind of history of not just filmmaking, it's production of all sorts. And um, that came in from the Whitlam, gov- Whitlam government back in the 80s who gave a huge amount of money um, and saw the the point in, in, and the, the power in, in giving, um, giving funding, giving support, giving training to, um, to people, um, First Nations people, so that they could tell their stories and in their words. And, and like you touched upon, documentary, of course, was one of the main genres. Thankfully now that has expanded to all sorts of genres and the fact that we're spotlighting Ivan Sen's work, I mean, he's a master of skipping through genres, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, attending the Q&A session at Cinema Nova on Sunday for Ivan Sen's new movie, Limbo, um, Simon Baker and Ivan Sen were discussing um, about the particular genre technique of moving a genre to a certain point that it almost breaks and becomes another genre, Mm. reeling it back at the end um, of the film to its original core and creating this dichotomy of two different genres that really shouldn't be together, but they work in a sense because you're pushing the conventions to that very last peak of the mountain. Mm, I love that phrasing. And I'm glad that you got to go along to the Q&A. I feel like there's... When you're watching a film like that, and Limbo is exactly that kind of film, we're talking off air about the way in which it really stayed with us long after the viewing Uh, and getting a chance to hear from Ivan and Simon about their experiences of working on the film, but also just that those layers. And I think that's something with Ivan's work that is always apparent, um, the level of detail and I, I was a massive fan of um, Beneath Clouds. It's probably one of my favourites of his work because it's so simple. And like you made that point before, Jasper, about that combination of genres. You know, yes, it's a road movie, but um, there's a great article actually by, by Tony Birch who talks about how it, it really does uh, complicate complicate that by having um, the two... Um, the two driving towards the city, these two protagonists driving towards the city and um, all of the different characters they meet along the way. And, and that's one way in which we can really think about decolonisation in filmmaking practices and strategies. Um, but also Limbo as black and white. And, and I heard you saying that you heard a really interesting reflection on that and the use of black and white for this film. Yeah, well, one core element um, of black and white cinema, which obviously before Technicolor was not something that people were thinking about, but 
these days when colour is so accessible through film or digital, um, the intentional use of monochrome um, or black and white in cinema um, is used for us to pay attention to the material elements of the film, the acting, um, the mise-en-scene, the items that we see uh, within the film, the dialogue, because we are at a loss of that sensory uh, process of colour. We're not looking for it. And so when we're not looking for it, we're seeking other things within the film. And that's when motifs emerge that we may not even see because we are blinded by the colour red, the colour blue. And these uh, parts of our brain are just shut off. Mm. And we're suddenly activating parts of our brain as an audience member and seeing new things in the cinema. And that's what Limbo does for Mm. me. And it does for a lot of um, members of the audience as well. I could not imagine uh, the texture and the clarity of this film in colour. It is so contrasty and so beautiful to watch um, that if it was in colour. I just don't think the audience experience would be the same. Mm, I completely agree. And we mentioned before his background in photography, so well applied to Limbo, but lots of his other films. And something I really love about Ivan's approach is how he how he presents. How you know? I, I mentioned. Uh, sorry, when I was chatting with him, I was talking about the sparse dialogue in Limbo, but it's in a lot of his other films. And it's often, it almost, the dialogue works almost like a knife in some of his films where it just cuts through. And I love the really honest portrayals. And it's usually because he's working with community. Like he's going, you know, he, he's from Tumala. He's worked, you know, there's that fantastic film Tumala from 2002, I want to say, or have I got I think the Beneath Clouds was in 2002, So it must have been 2000 and, yes. oh, I'll pull it up because I want to get it right. Um, but he's he's working with with the oh, 2011. I was way off. Um, sorry, because of course Beneath Clouds was the debut. Tumala came out a few years later. Um, we should also mention some of the other ones, Mystery Road and Goldstone. I think people will be most familiar with. Yeah, um, Fitting more into that detective noir limbo. I mean, how would we describe it? Uh, outback noir, I think, has been used. Yeah, I mean, with the actual like genre style of the black and white, it is as obvious of noir as possible. Um, but then on top of that, it also does have the elements of of the of the crime drama um and then also um that detective story on Mm. top of it so it's very multi-layered um but this is probably uh considering that Ivan Sen is one of the pioneers of the outback noir this is so visually distinct of the noir comics um the noir movies and the style is just like none else yes yes and I think that so often when we're talking about a director, it's really easy to become reductive. But we should say, I mean, Sen has worked across a lot of different genres. Loveland from 2022 is like this sci-fi, visually ravishing kind of very strange film. Um, we've got uh, we've got Dreamland, which is a UFO film. Um, that was from 2009. Um, he's worked across so many different genres and I think he, he has a real playfulness um, and, he, yeah, you really see it across this. Jasper, why why is Sen so important when you're – well, to you. Why, well, yeah, why, why do you resonate with his work? Ivan Sen has such a unique narrative voice uh, that works cross genre and I feel that – Any audience can sit down and watch if it's perhaps a sci-fi or a coming-of-age film, um, the mystery, the outback, the thriller. Across Ivan Sen's work, there is a bridge between uh, Indigenous uh, 
narratives that can jump to any audience. I feel that um, Ivan Sen's key um, social issues that are addressed in films uh, in particular are digestible in a way that's underlying um, in so many of his genre films. And I feel that there's so much dialogue that can be had um, to or amongst audience members um, after watching films such as Mystery Road or Goldstone, um, which while they are quite more action-packed and, and full of mystery, there is so much um, key social issues that are addressed and they almost, they, they're almost not there in a sense that you're understanding it, processing it, feeling it and coming to critical thinking notes within your own head but they're not in your face. Mm. And this is such an interesting um, way that Ivan Sen um, puts uh, discussions around key topics across his uh, filmography. Mm. No, beautifully beautifully um, captured there. I, I feel as though there's so much artistry in his work and – we could we could have this discussion and just purely talk about um, composition of frames. We could talk about narrative structure. Um, I feel like Limbo, we're talking off air about some of the narrative decisions and we won't ruin anything, but I just think it, it makes some really interesting and, and very meaningful choices with how the information is not only um, relayed but also this sort of sense of closure whether whether audiences get that and where there might be frustration but I think that's part of the point and um, I found it a really beautiful film I hope that a lot of audiences do come out to it I think it was pretty sold out a lot of the Q&A's that have happened there with these preview screenings so um, if you do want to check out some more of his work though I have compiled a wonderful list of where it's all streaming they're not all I know Jasper I love your point about making sure that they're freely available not all of these are free platforms but uh, Mystery Road and Loveland are both streaming on Stan Uh, Goldstone is currently streaming on ABC iView which is of course free Uh, there's also the Mystery Road TV series which isn't uh by Ivan Sen it's of course based on his film um but not he's not directly related um connected to the film um, to the tv project that's on ABC iview Tumala and Beneath Clouds which are two of my favorites are both on Netflix which is beautiful film they are so beautiful they are are so amazing I would recommend them uh, any day to somebody who has a Netflix subscription to go and watch that yeah I really hope tonight's discussion has prompted you to check out Sen's work uh if you haven't already um Really, we, we can't quite capture it all, but uh, we hope that this is a good uh, reminder to check it out. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. The Glenroy Film Festival screens this May 25 to 28, presented by Marybeck City Council, in partnership with the Melbourne International Film Festival, featuring a cross-cultural program curated by the MIFF team with films in Arabic, English, Italian, Nepali and Urdu. Entry is free, but bookings are essential. Find the full program and book tickets at marybeck.vic.gov.au slash Glenroy Film Festival. Marybeck City Council, Triple R Sponsors. You have been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Jasper Cohen-Hunter and myself, Flick Ford. On tonight's show, we spotlighted the work of filmmaker Ivan Sen. Uh, And earlier tonight, I spoke with Ivan and lead actor Simon Baker about their new film Limbo, which is in cinemas later this week. And then Jasper and I discussed some of our favourite films of Sen's work. Uh, So you can listen back to tonight's episode on the Triple R website, rrr.org.au, or subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast. But before we wrap wrap up, 
I want to give a quick shout out to um, an unknown uh, unknown pleasures screening series which is happening at Thornbury Picture House. They are a fantastic uh, collective and they are screening uh, tomorrow uh, Anak, which is a good even feature a Q&A as well. Um, Anak is the debut feature of a major new voice in Australian film um, and it, the film itself explores the complexities of migrating to a foreign culture as it slowly shapes the lives of a family of Filipino Australians living in Melbourne. I think this is going to be a fantastic film. Uh, you know if the Unknown Pleasures team are behind it, it's going to be a good one, but please do check it out. Uh, you can probably just head to the Thornbury Picture House website. Oh, and also, if you'd like to listen to Justice Podcast, which I highly recommend, how do people – do we just go on Spotify? Is that the quickest yeah, way? Yeah, Spotify is the current place that it's accessible. <laughs> <laughs> and also your Instagram. What's your Instagram handle for the podcast? Yes, my Instagram handle is Miringalinga, which is M I R R I N G Y A L I N G W A. Oh, well done. (laughs) (laughs) Your podcast is actually one of my favorites at the moment, so I highly recommend it. And also, just your Instagram is great because so much information, and I'm excited for what happens next. Uh, Jasper, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me on tonight. Um, And thank you also to Ivan and Simon for their time, and to Luke Lay, who edits our podcast and does our socials. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 